friends, First John says in chapter 1, if we walk in the light as He is in the light, we have fellowship with one another. And the blood of Jesus Christ, His Son, purifies us from all unrighteousness. What a gorgeous text. That somehow the Lord assumed that if we actually fellowshiped with Him, we would fellowship with each other. And we'd have the most important things in common. If you don't have a Bible, raise your hand. We're going to get one right to you. And there are going to be three places I'm going to ask you to mark. If you're new to Scripture, now that you're kind of next to someone, well then ask them to help you. Don't be afraid. We've all been there before. Those three places are Romans 12, 1 Corinthians 12, and the book of Ephesians. Chapter 4. Yeah, if you have an Ephesians 12, you might be in trouble. But we will get to 4.12 if that makes any difference at all. It's one in every group, I tell you. Let's see if that makes a difference. We are a the second of a three-part series on spiritual gifts. We don't normally handle things topically. And to be honest, the primary reason is is that I have a hard time being too thorough. I mean, I I could make your your mind numb and then you could be in a lot of trouble. So, um, but we we can't not develop this beautiful area and put proper context and perspective into it. And I would say like any time I speak, please don't just believe me. Don't just assume it's true because I say so. Search the scriptures. Let the Bible always be your authority. Let the Bible always have the final say. Having said that, let's go to the Lord in prayer. Lord, I just thank you so much for what you're going to do tonight. I thank you for every brother and sister in this room, and I thank you, Lord, that you are present. Lord, that above all of the other things, Lord, if this room were full of people, but you weren't here, we would be worth nothing. It would be the opposite. But Lord, with you here and my precious brothers and sisters here, what a gorgeous night. And what great things you have planned. And so, Lord, just redeem every second. May we have so much fun in your word, learning, Lord, if there's anything that your scripture approaches that in any way is an affront to what we think we know, Lord, may we be willing to bend and yield to your scripture. That your scripture would have the final say, not just in what I say, Lord, but in what we receive in every area, in every arena, in every venue. So, Lord, please tonight minister. Bring clarity where there's confusion, light where there's obscurity, peace where there's discord, encouragement where there's discouragement. And I pray, Lord, that you start a revolution, first in the world inside us, and then in the world around us here at church, and then ultimately in the world around us outside of this building. So, Lord, have your way now. Fill me and immerse me with your Holy Spirit that you would do through me everything you ordain. In Jesus' name, amen. Now, last week, if you remember, 
we address the aspect of who the Holy Spirit is. Now, obviously, we couldn't exhaust that subject in an hour's time. But we did approach things from the idea of what Jesus proclaims him to be in chapters 14 through 16 of the Gospel of John. In that, we come up with a very simple conclusion in the midst of it all, and that is the Holy Spirit's primary responsibility is to be the catalyst of intimacy between man and God. That is, everything that he does is with that purpose. Everything he does is with that purpose. From the first time that you see him interacting with humankind, and really in the story of Noah, where it says, my spirit will not plead with man forever. The word plead in the Hebrew is the word being, and it means to beg. And there was a time where the Holy Spirit was begging people. He was begging people before the flood. These people were not ignorant people who ran into the flood and were succumbed and were victims, innocent victims. These were very guilty, conscious, rebellious people who received, who refused, I'm sorry, the begging of the Holy Spirit. We've seen that the Holy Spirit has raised up individuals last week. He raises up individuals to do physically what he has on his agenda, which is simply to draw men closer to God. Now he can do that to people who do know him. Is there anyone here that thinks they're perfectly close to God and and they don't need any more encouragement? If so, you should probably take this seat instead of me. Actually, no, you're probably delusional and you shouldn't be up here at all. (laughs) Truth be told, we could all use it. And as, as that is the case, know this, that the Holy Spirit will use every one of his own those who have accepted the gift of Jesus Christ, because that accepting the gift of Jesus Christ, according to Ephesians 1.13, we were marked with the Holy Spirit. That was the moment when God came to make his home inside of you and started doing this beautiful work of cleaning you from the inside out. We saw that the Holy Spirit has three different primary interactions with humankind. The first is he dwells with, in which case he dwells on the outside of an unbeliever, prodding him to the cross. At the moment the unbeliever becomes a believer and accepts the gift of Jesus, he dwells in him, and then thirdly dwells upon an individual to empower them for specific ministry. And that is why you see the difference between David, for instance, and Saul as king. Saul in the Old Testament is empowered by God's Holy Spirit, but he removes his Holy Spirit the day that he hands Saul his P45. In other words, the moment Saul gets fired, he no longer needs the empowerment of the Holy Spirit because it's not his job anymore. But David, we read, will have the Holy Spirit from that point forward to the end of his death. He will die a king. And you see the difference. And by the way, can I just say, in your life and in my life, a side note, but it just bears worth saying, that that when it comes to the old person, that Saul inside of each of us, the one that really, in essence, doesn't want to give up the throne for the rightful king. For the one that really is after God's own heart. That, unfortunately, as we see with the story of Saul, that king never gives up the throne willingly. Have you noticed that? He has to die. And I think that's interesting in Saul's case. Saul never repents to the point. He'll, he'll have these moments where he's like, I played the fool. Saul, or David, I'm sorry. Come here, is that the voice of my son? Oh, I've been so stupid. What am I thinking? And, but he never really repents. And it's the same with our flesh nature. It never repents. It needs to die. 
And just like Saul, it's not going to give up the throne. The only thing left is for it to die so the rightful king can take his throne like he should. Now, now understand, in the scripture, then the Holy Spirit comes upon an individual to empower them for ministry. Whatever the ministry he has for them. And so last week, what we saw is the ministry of the Holy Spirit is the ministry of bringing people closer to God. That is the ministry of the Holy Spirit. And that whole, and that ministry can happen as he works on the outside of a person to push him to the cross. He works on the inside of a person to cleanse them from the inside out to make them closer in practice and in doctrine and in lifestyle and in priority. And then he uses them as he comes upon them to be able to bring others closer to the Lord. And I love that that's everything he does. Now know that because everything that we're going to work from that point on is going to be about that. I'm trying to get rid of that. I know you're hearing it too. So, sorry. So please, please follow me on this for a second. The Holy Spirit, and, and, and again, what we saw in John, he never brings attention to himself. He glorifies Jesus. If you have an encounter with the Holy Spirit, you're going to end up at the feet of Jesus. That's just the way it works. Now, we have, next week we're going to go through the 17 gifts as they're listed in 1 Corinthians 12 and in Romans chapter 12 as well. Positions that he shows us in Ephesians 14. Here's the problem. Is that, it's as if it were, as if I were a commanding sergeant for a moment, and I'm looking at the new group of soldiers, and that's what you are. Now maybe you didn't know that when you accepted Jesus Christ, that he recruited you into the Lord's army, but he did. And no soldier has the right to command his own army, unless the Lord puts him in that position. You have a master, lieutenant, sergeant, whatever you want to call him, admiral, The commanding officer, first and foremost, is Jesus Christ. Not me, not a denomination, not a particular figurehead other than Jesus himself. Because nobody else has gone into battle like he has before us and come out victorious. He's the perfect one to lead us. But you can almost see as if he can sort of bend hands down to lower sergeants like myself. And it's like, I recognize that when we start handing out these things, and I can't hand out spiritual gifts. I can't give them to you. Because to be honest, it's one of the things that I can't pick for you. It's something the Lord knows exactly how He's made you. Some of you will be snipers. Some of you will be recon. Some of you will be in the machine. But every one of you is going to have a position. There are no spare parts that God makes. And please understand in that, here's the problem. Unless we go through what it is today in regards to what it really means to be the right soldier, what it really means, then it's like, I know that if I hand you these weapons today, you'll start shooting each other with them. And that's the last thing you need if we're going to be the army God called us to be. And so, last week we saw, this is the very, please understand, this is the mission of the army. The mission of the army is to bring humankind closer to God. That is the whole mission of the army. The whole mission. And it doesn't matter what gifts he's given you. It doesn't matter what position he's put you in. You know that the entire mission statement of this army is that we are here to bring others, as an army, to bring others closer to the one that we are being brought closer to, which is the primary purpose why we were created in the first place, was just to be with him. Now, As last week we looked at who this Holy Spirit is, in other words, the person behind the gifts, this week in Spiritual Gifts chapter 2, if you will, or part 2, what we're really looking at is the perspective and the purpose 
of those gifts then as we see in Scripture. Because if you don't realize what the purpose is behind the gifts that he gives you, I guarantee you, you'll probably use them for the wrong reason. So follow me quickly, and then the first text we're going to get into is Romans 12, which is where we kind of left off in essence. But if you remember, Romans is a very tidy book. It breaks up into five very easy sections. Chapters 1 and 2, we see the area of sin. And in the simplest sense, God reveals himself, and man refuses to accept God, hear me, on his terms. It's that simple. Man says, me first. And you know what? That's the case to this day. The problem we deal with today with people is they don't have a problem with God until they deal with the real one. And you're probably aware of this. Everyone out there seems to be cool with God as long as you don't try to define him for them. Because every other God other than the biblical one is one where you accept God on your terms, not on his. And who doesn't care about a God like that? Who wouldn't want that? A God who just wants to bless you and give you warm fuzzies and make you feel good and maybe not let you go to hell because he's love anyways and let you, you know, have sex with whoever you want and get attracted to whoever you want and do whatever you want and really doesn't matter because everything's kind of relative anyways. And, you know, and what's really sin anyways? But after all, God's love, so he's just going to basically let me be a jerk and hurt everybody else and myself and then he's going to give me a hug for it. Does that sound like love to you? And then you go in and say, actually, to be honest, Jesus is a savior. That's already offensive because that means you need to be saved. That means you're in peril. And you say, well, what am I in peril of? And it's like your wickedness that you can't get yourself out of. Now, how do you not offend someone with that? Because what you're doing is wrong. Like what I'm doing is wrong anytime I need to be forgiven. But I like my rules. Of course you like your rules. But God in the beginning makes clear that it's simple. He reveals himself. This is who I am. And they would not glorify him as God, nor were they thankful. In other words, they wouldn't give him the credit for what he did, nor would they surrender to him and give him the thanks that he deserves. So it's that simple. That's just sin in a nutshell. As a result of that, the problem is universal, and so is the answer. But in that, Jesus demands to be Lord, chapters 3 through 5. And if he's going to be Lord, we have to surrender the me first deal so that we can stop making it about us now and we start making it about Jesus. If he's going to be Lord, we have to surrender ourselves to our new commanding officer. Which means we cannot say, it's my terms. You can't say, I'll take God on my terms and actually profess Jesus is Lord. That just doesn't work. So when you say, hey, look it, I don't want to accept Jesus because I'm gay and, and unless God accept me as gay, then and that's the way I was born. Or, you know what, I, you know what, this, I'm going to, the bottom line, to be honest, that's, I don't even want to single that out. That just tends to be a mantra. But there are other people who do the very same thing when they say, look it, if God, you know, I like to smoke pot and the bottom line is there's all this marijuana and unless God just saved me and he's cool with me smoking marijuana, what's the difference? I like to get drunk. I like to go have sex with whoever I want. And in the end of it all, it's all the same thing. It's that we refuse to accept God as Lord, Jesus as Lord, because what we really want is him to, we're cool with him like getting us out of hell, but we're just not really cool with him being our commanding officer. Well, the problem is none of the rest of the book of Romans is going to make any sense if you don't let Jesus be Lord. Because if he isn't Lord, well, then how does he sanctify? How do you have a new view of what's important? How do you have a new view for who's important now? Because you're still the important thing. 
So stuff is important if it benefits you. People aren't important unless they benefit you. And it's still all about you. That is the, and that's like you don't look any different than the person you were before you were going to hell. Um, you know, when you were going to hell. And the bottom line is apparently you probably still are. But understand, in all of this, we have these beautiful promises as he starts talking about the walking in the flesh versus walking in the spirit. Walking in the flesh, obviously, that's still putting me first. That's all about me being driven by me. And then walking in the spirit puts the Lord first and you second. That's a pretty radical difference. Now, having said that, then we start getting into the issue that God plays for keeps. And that's all chapters 9 through 11. And please understand, there's something really radical in that. In the simplest sense, not only do I have to surrender all of my will to God, I have to surrender my logic to God, too. Because God's going to do stuff that will not make sense to get results that I really want, even if it seems like it's the opposite direction at first. But he knows how to get permanent results. And what he says in chapters 9 through 11, using Israel and the Gentiles as his example, in the, in the simplest sense, beloved, is just this. Hey, look at I know how to get results don't try to figure me out. Just trust me. But if we put him first, that becomes another area that has to get on the table. That doesn't tell us where to become stupid. What it tells us instead is that we take our mind, we surrender it to his word, and we watch how everything becomes crystal clear. And what doesn't? We simply say, all right, God, I trust you. And now we get into this last section, which is the idea of giving me to God for others. That's the whole point of this. There's no more me first lifestyle left in this. And there's no more logic where I'm going to try to do it the way that I think is best. I'm going to keep my eyes on the Lord. And when he says this is the way we do it, we go, well, it doesn't make sense. It sounds like it could be the Lord. You ever have those moments? We've had those moments where you're at a board meeting and we're like, you know, this just, there's, there's just no way this could possibly work. But we are completely all in agreement that this is what we should do. And it's kind of exciting when those moments happen. Because when those moments happen, you kind of almost get giddy because you're like, this is so absurd and ridiculous. But praise God, we all just have a very... And it isn't like we're just going to try to find some esoteric thing. If that's the case, you hand everyone a cappuccino and everyone feels good for those 10 minutes and you take a vote. But that's not the way it works. All of a sudden, people are like, you know what? I just, I just cannot get past the fact this is what we need to do. And, and I can't see how it's going to work, but except this. the Lord just, And every time that happens, it always works out. It always does. Just like being here. So please hear me. In my logic and my priority and my practice and my lifestyle, there's no more me first. God, it's you and my logic. You're over my logic. You're over my, my lifestyle. You're over my priorities. You're over every practice. You're over everything. And with that in mind, if I can resolve then him first and you next, and I'm at the back of the queue, and he goes, now we've gotten that handled. And by the way, you know, that's what the army does. They call it breaking. You're probably aware of that. I mean, there's a, and I don't know how it works here with the RAF and such. I do know in America, they all they shave your head and give you all the same clothes. And one of the reasons is that it strips away all of your massive macho identity. So you stop thinking like an individual, to be honest, and start thinking like a team. Now, granted, there's going to be some things that are going to be different, skin color, height and weight and such. But to be honest... It isn't like there's the hippies anymore and there's the, you know, the baldies over here, the whatever. We all kind of, you all kind of look alike after a while, except for maybe the tattoos you'll choose to get in route. And part of it is, is that you, there's, there's an idea of trying to get you more of a conglomerate view than just the individual. What would happen if you did that? You know, they do that here with schools, right? I mean, it's like you watch these kids and they're all, you can tell they're all from the same school because they're all wearing the same outfit. It's pretty simple to identify. And I, and I look at that and, and please hear me in this is that God really wants us to get to start opening our eyes to the fact that we're not lone wolves. 
We're not lone rangers on hire here. We're not mavericks that are like, you know, all of a sudden it's like, Quest, he's a, he's, you know, he's a sniper and we just know we're going to pull him in like one of those movies where, you know, he's like somebody's laying in a hotel room somewhere waiting for a phone call from an anonymous person to pull him in for a moment. He'll come in, he'll shoot his person and back he'll go back into obscurity. That's just not the way it works except in the movies. And we'd love to think that way. It's sort of like, you know, I'm just going to, I'm going to be like a lone wolf, man. I'm going to like do whatever. And then God's going to like boom. And I come in for a moment, bam. And then I'm back to like living my life for me again. It's just not like that. Welcome to the army, friends. So these particular three texts, what I want to do is in a simple sense is give some simple clarity to why God's going to give these gifts. Why he's giving these gifts. And a perspective of how each one of these is nestled very carefully in some very important texts. So, turn to Romans chapter 12, our first of our three texts, if you would, please. And in this text, we pick it up, and some of this should be review, right? Start in verse 3 with me. For I say, through the grace given to me, that everyone among you not to think of himself more highly than he ought to think, but to think soberly as God has dealt <laughs> excuse me, to each one a measure of faith. Now, like it or not, if, let me ask you, are you, who in this room is confident that they've accepted the gift of Jesus Christ? Show, your, show with your hands, man. Hands up. Throw your hands up. If you accept the gift of Jesus Christ and you're confident in it, throw your hands up. Okay. Some of you, you're doubly saved. I can see both your hands are up. That's beautiful. If you've accepted the gift of Jesus Christ, He's given you a special measure of faith that's come the moment you said yes to Him. Which is kind of cool because you invested that faith in Him to say, all right, Jesus, be my Lord and Savior. And He said, good, now let me give you some more faith. Now what are you going to do with that faith? I want you to use that faith. That's just trust. I want you to use that faith doing something crazy. Like what? Investing it in other people. Now let's be honest. It's hard enough to trust in a God you may not be able to see, but at least you know He's perfect. But you know this, the moment you start investing in other people, you know there's a margin of error. And there's two margins of error, if we're honest, you and the person you're investing in. But they might break my heart. And you go, if you're, the, if you're a real good sergeant, you go, yeah, yeah, they probably will. But they might fail on me. Yeah, they probably will. But they might flip out and get weird on me. Yeah, probably will. They might take what I want, you know, what I'm intending wrong. Yeah, probably They might even get to the point where they take everything and try my patience and never really come around, but they'll keep saying, maybe and close and oh, and then they'll give us a hint of something, and they'll play with me like a cat with a ball of yarn for years, and then the end of it all, there's like nothing could possibly come of it. And he's like, maybe. But could you imagine telling your commanding officer that? We're going to go to war, but I might get shot at. Yeah, what part of war did you not get? But here's the scary part, is that there is a demand, and that demand is that we fight like a team. And if we don't fight like a team, we got all kinds of things to deal with. And that becomes the problem here, is that if you knew the way that the Romans fought, you would know that it was mandatory that we stood next to each other. We created walls. It's a quite simple thing. Come this way for a minute. Let me borrow you and come on over here too, Lucas. And look at these things. This is so helpful. Take this. Don't break it though. Whatever you do, okay? Okay, and you take this. 
And don't break this either, okay? And I want you to hold these forward like this. Each one of us has a shield. Those shields lock shield to shield to shield. This should be a wall here. These are spears. Pointy part goes in the bad guy. Okay, that's the idea, right? Now, what we do is quite simple. We take a, we take a step together. Ready? Oh, we step. And then, oh, we step again. And then, oh, we step again. Now, how many of those guys do you need to be out of rank for this to be a, a penetratable wall? One. That's all you need. But this is what we kind of get. We kind of get a bunch of guys just going, oh, and thinking that that's going to get somewhere great. And you know what they go? Well, don't worry. It's the pastor. He'll be okay because it's the pastor. And if he's the pastor, sure, the pastor knows how to wield his, ah, right? Well, come on now, wait a minute here. Could you imagine? There's a war and the army's all lined up. All the army's lined up. And here you all are. And here we are as an army. And they're like, look at all those people. Don't worry, the pastor will fight them. And you think, really? Is that how that works? But unfortunately, or should I say fortunately, we're all supposed to come out of this thing smelling like gunpowder. Thank you, boys. You want to carefully put those where they belong. Now listen. (coughs) He tells us this. First of all, I don't want you to start thinking of yourself more highly than you ought to think. In the end of it all, you have, if you look at the weapons of your warfare in Ephesians 6, and you talk about that helmet of salvation, the breastplate of righteousness, your loins girded with the truth, your feet shot in the preparation of the gospel of peace, your shield of faith, and your sword. But that sword isn't this giant, double-edged whack a person and just start cutting people in half. That sword is a defensive weapon. And people go, well, there you go. See, that's your offensive weapon, your sword. No, actually, that's a defensive weapon. The idea of it, to be honest, is the gospel is the offensive weapon. And if the gospel is the offensive weapon, that sword is for specific cutting if somebody gets through those shields. Do you get it? It's a small sword. I actually have one in my house. I can't bring it here because I'll probably do time if I bring it on the bus to get it here, right? But it's a specific tiny sword. It's only, you know, it's only six inches, so it's about, a, you know, whatever. What does that make? That one-sixth of a meter. And... uh and with that, it's, with the idea if it gets in, you just, you know, there's specific places that that thing just goes, just like the Word of God should. And there are times where what happens, and, then, and by the way, in Ephesians 6, remember that's like having done all the stand, stand therefore, stand, stand, stand. I've actually been to Ephesus on several occasions when we usually talk about things like, um, if, when we talk about evangelism and we kind of bring out like an evangelism intensive, I show slides of, um, of the, of the actual wall in Ephesus, where they have carved in the walls in Ephesus these guys with these really, really big shields and these really, really small swords. You actually see it. And those were, by the way, carved at the time when Paul was writing that. I kind of like that. We tend to think of it as like this little shield and this big sword. Well, that's really nice for TV, but it really doesn't work well in real life. I mean, if you have one of those big swords, okay, how big you are. The average guy in those days was 5'6". Who's 5'6 here? No, you're taller than 5'6". Really? Stand up for a second. Let's see. Oh, maybe. Maybe you are. Am I actually more? Yeah, maybe. So this is the average guy those days. So you take a bigger guy. You take a Jeffrey in those days. A Jeffrey in those days was just 
is like my nose height, to give you an idea. Now you take a sword, thank you, Matthew. You take a sword that actually weighs what a sword like that weighs. Those guys, by the way, have shield bears that go in front of them because they don't actually, they can't carry both. You have that thing, you're dragging it like this with your shield. That's the idea. Now please hear me. He starts looking and he goes, this is the first thing you guys are going to need in the army here, beloved, is stop thinking that you're anything more awesome than the other. To think that the team is awesome more than you're awesome. Because there's something really cool about that. Because that's how he starts preparing us. And look at how he works from there into this. The next thing he says then in verse 4. 4. Do you know what 4 means? That means because. Because. Don't think of yourself more highly than you ought to think. Because, as we have many members in one body, but all the members do have, don't have the same function, we, being many, are one body in Christ and individually members of one another. Having then gifts differing according to the grace that is given us, then let's use them. And then he starts developing what those are. Understand, right from the beginning of this, before he even starts telling you what those gifts are, and he's right on the cusp of doing that, he says, listen, before you even start seeing what gifts there are that you could possibly possess, you need to recognize you are interdependent. That is fundamental. But remember, if we already got rid of that me-first attitude, this should be fairly easy. The problem is, I don't know about you, but that tends to be a little bit more like a ping-pong match with me. I have it good, and then, oh, I go back to me first. And then I go back to being spirit-filled. And then I go back to, wait, but what about me? And then I come in, and it tends to be like this sometimes. And what happens is, then God says, well, let me give you something. You're like, oh, this will make me awesome. And God's like, no, 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 get back, get back to this. You have an awesome Lord who has an awesome family in which you get to be a part of. And in that sense, you're awesome. But you're awesome like the rest of your family is awesome. It's so easy to look and go, well, I'm awesome and check them out. They need help. You know, it's funny. It's like I watch this with people in marriage. Before they get married, he sees how wonderful she is and he sees his own weaknesses and goes, I wish I could be more like you, honey. And she sees his strengths and does and sees her own weaknesses and goes, oh, honey, I wish I could be more like you. Then they get married and the coin flips. And then it be, why can't you be more like me? And somehow that seems to happen in church sometimes. It's like we come in and at the first like, oh, this is an awesome thing. I can't wait. And then sooner or later, it's like, wow, you know, I'm pretty awesome. What's, why doesn't everyone else catch up? And he goes, look, before we even start talking about spiritual gifts, you're interdependent on each other. We are all unique but connected. That's the point here. He goes, though the body is... And this is so funny because people start talking, well, how could God be three and how could God be one? Funny, nobody has a problem saying that about the body. Your body's more than three. Your body's a whole lot of parts, but it's only one body. It's interesting. There are all kinds of things you can use as metaphors. As a matter of fact, even to the Jewish people, they speak about things that are actually corporately one, but they can't get that. Strange as it is, but listen, this is the part we could miss. You are uniquely parts, uniquely parts, and God did not create the body. I mean, imagine how weird the body would be if it were like the way we think it is. Whether it be this one gigantic part that would be, or maybe six gigantic parts that are like the parts that are like the church leadership. That guy's on TV. That's a big body part. And then, then you're like what? Like a freckle or a wart on the toe? I'm like a corn. You know? I'm a bunion. You know? I mean, if, but if, but because so many people think they're kind of the extra part, 
I mean, this, there would be like this little body with all of these things that were unnecessary hanging off the edge of it. That is the, the ugliest, scariest looking bride you ever thought. No wonder why she's got a veil. But if but she calls her beautiful, can I just say, if the body functioned the way that it's supposed to, some pretty radical things are going to happen. On Sunday, we talked about the idea of not only allowing our hearts to be stirred, but our, our spirits to be stirred. Our hearts to be stirred, but also our spirits to be willing. Because just to stir the heart is one thing, but it has to engage into gear with a willing spirit. And if we don't have a willing spirit, we'll gather the information and walk out of here fatter and, and with no intention of taking it and putting it in any form of practice. So let me start with this. How are you on that? Are you okay with this? Well, here's the crazy part. Do you know who the body serves first and foremost? Itself. Now look at it. Isn't, now, the body, now any part that serves only itself, uniquely its own part, do you know what they call that? Cancer. That's what that's called. I mean, that's an interesting thought. So if you think that the only body part comes in and its sole purpose is just to serve itself, that's called cancer. Not a good idea. But aren't you thankful for the parts of your body serving each other, working in conjunction with each other? So who knows what part you are right now? Some of you may think you know. But can I just say, whatever part you are is, is, is imperative, is essential, even if you don't know what it is. But never forget, that's one of the primary reasons for church. The primary reason for church isn't just to sit in a locker room and wait for a guy to entertain you for an hour, maybe sing a handful of songs you might or might not know. Hopefully you have some experience, you get the tingles and levitate, and that's it. And then you walk out of here and then kind of go, okay, that's going to be enough to get me through at least until Wednesday when we can do this again. You know what that sounds like? sounds like a consumer. sounds like a body part that came in to make sure that the body part got juiced up so the body part can go out and function on its own. I'm the lone liver. Good, good with that. But what happens when the body parts all show up together and we say, you know, Lord, I'm just available. I'm here with a willing spirit, a stirrable heart. Now, Lord, what do you want to do? And if the Lord says, you know what? You just started doing that today. Do you realize that? Twice today, you picked a couple people you may not have known or if you did, you didn't know them well. And you took those particular people and you prayed for them. That's a great place to start. I've learned this way early in the ministry. It is a lot easier to minister to people you've been praying for. Think about that. Now listen. One more quick thing in regards to this text in Romans, and we'll get to the other two, which are a lot more prolific in this. <coughs> he will get into these ministries then, these specific gifts, starting then in verse 6. And I'll take them all the way through to verse 8. I'll read through that, and then I'll get to the first part of the verse 9. Listen. Having gifts, then, according to the differing, according to the grace that is given to us, then let us use them. If prophecy, then let us prophesy in proportion to our faith. In our ministry, let us, then, in our ministering, he who teaches in teaching, he who exhorts in exhortation, he who gives with liberality, he who leads with diligence, he who shows mercy with cheerfulness. Now notice he says that you exercising your spiritual gift is an act of faith. That's that simple. Where do you exercise that gift? Well, one place you exercise it is clearly in the body. Now please hear me on this. I don't know if anyone's ever needed to tell you this, but if so, let it be said. If you are waiting for a pastor's permission to do what God told you to, consider it granted. Stop waiting for a program. Stop waiting for some order from the top down or something with church letterhead. Do what the Lord told you. And there are people like, well, I don't know. The pastor hasn't recognized yet whether... 
You know, maybe, but can I just say, just do what God's called you to. That's what the pastor's looking for. People, it's like, you know what, you, you want to see our people doing it organically. Not, well, wait a minute, could you just start a study and then make me the teacher? Why would I do that? I've never seen you teach. But that doesn't mean you put it on for show. This is what I've learned. When you're lit up with God's Holy Spirit, you find yourself doing what God's called you to. That's just as simple as it. Can I just say it this way? When the blood flows through, the body part functions. Is that fair enough? When the blood flows through, the body part functions. You're never going to find the blood flowing through being a lone liver. And here we are. 1 Corinthians 12, flip there. Verse 4. Oh, by the way, that verse at the end of it all, I'm sorry, I have to say this. Verse 9 at the end of that, Romans 12, it just says, let love be without hypocrisy. Notice that before the gifts he said, you need to be a part of the body. Recognize you're a part of the body. You're essential and different, but essential. And at the other side of the gifts, he says, let love be without hypocrisy. Don't miss that. Those are the two pieces of bread for which the, the meat of the spiritual gifts is listed in Romans 12. Now, in 1 Corinthians 12, verse 4, by the way, here's a really cool little place for the Trinity, verses 4, 5, and 6 as well. There are diversity of gifts, but the same Spirit. There are diversity of ministries, but the same Lord. There are diversity of activities, but the same God who works all in all. Did you notice? Same Spirit, same Lord, same God. Did you see the Trinity there? Now listen. Three different things he says here, and these are fundamental. One is there's a diversity of gifts. Do you know what that means? Everybody does not have the same gifts. I mean, that would be weird. Consider it a part of the body. Every part of the body has some form of uniqueness to it. Every church, by the way, and this is why I get nervous, and I'm just going to go right for the throat of some things. Any church that tells you that every person you're not saved unless you speak in tongues needs to read the Bible. Because the scripture says, do all have the gifts of healings? Do all prophesy? Do all speak in tongues? You can't go, no, no, yes. They're all rhetorical questions. Now, I'm not saying that that, and I'll, we'll talk about that a little bit later, because you know what, when we open up that can of worms, that's going to be a fun one to sift through. But listen, there are different gifts. And even though there are different gifts, what that means is, is that everyone's not going to have the same gifts. But it gets even more diverse than that, because even if, just by some strange coincidence, though that's not even a kosher word, we all happen to have the same docket of gifts in this room, we would still not minister them the same way. There are different ministries. Literally, there are different activities, ergas, different motions with them. Let me explain <laughs> the way that kind of works. Let's just say, Kwesi, let's just say that Daniel, let's just say that Chris, and let's just say that Jay all have the gift of teaching. What a wonderful gift. And as they all have the gift of teaching, they can all say, well, let's check it out. Let's go find it. And they all go and they turn on the telly together and they see someone and they go, check out this guy. This guy's a teacher. And he's got the glasses and he's got the perfect manner of speech and he knows how to pound the pulpit. And he says, let's just break that down into 12 very easy steps, shall we? And we're going to go into the Greek and the Hebrew and we're going to tear this apart. And then we're going to go, in, and here it is. And here's my flannel graph. And here it is as a pie chart. And here it is as this. And here it is as that. All right, is everyone there? And we go, oh, we are just, 
We're not worthy. We're not worthy. Oh, whoever this person is. And then in and they go, well, you know what? We, I need to become like that. Let's be like that. So they start a group, BeLikeThatGuy.com. And so they go, okay, well, that guy sits in a leather chair. Let's all get leather chairs. So they all get leather chairs. And they go, you know what I've learned is that guy smokes cigars. But he smokes Havana cigars. Those are a little harder to get. Okay, Chris, that's your job. Go get us some cigars. Now, none of them smoke at this particular point, but now all of a sudden they decide that this is what they're going to do. And with that, they go, okay, we're going to get these books that none of us know how to read, but we're going to put them in our library because we see them behind them every week on the show. So now we have these books we can't read, and by this time they're all wanting to barf because they smoke these cigars that they can't handle, sitting in a leather chair that they're uncomfortable in, and they really, and none of them are doing anything that God's called them to. Now, here's the thing. <clears throat> Somebody gets saved. And as someone gets saved, Daniel's the soft spot. And all of a sudden, Daniel just kind of comes and he wraps his arm around someone and he goes, hey, can I walk you through some real basic things in regards to what it really means to walk with Jesus? Is he teaching him? Oh, yeah, he is. And with that, that guy starts to lay, and, and Daniel helps lay a solid foundation. What a beautiful thing that is. And then with that, what happens is somewhere down the line, that guy, he meets Miss Wright, soon to be Mrs. Wright. And, and with that, he wants to marry. But somehow they get into some pretty rough times. And as they get into some pretty rough times, they're kind of in a place where he's like, I don't really get this thing. And all of a sudden he sits down, of course he sits down with him and he goes, hey, no, let me tell you what. And he starts to counsel him from the word. Is he teaching him? He better be if he's truly counseling him, right? And then as he continues to grow, all of a sudden, Mr. Wright starts to realize he's called to ministry. And as he's called to ministry, all of a sudden you see that, you know, at this point, Chris starts to sit down and we go, let's start developing you as a leader now. Now, in that particular case, he's, and he's sitting down. Now, it's similar in a sense to Daniel, in the sense that this is a one-on-one discipleship, but there's a very different effect to it. And as that's the case, he takes him to a church where Jay happens to be standing up here at the front and he's teaching the masses of people. Each one of them is teaching, but they're teaching in a different way. Does that make sense? And there's the danger. The danger is looking to see how it's defined by somebody else instead of by the Lord. Because if your eyes are on Jesus, what you'll find is you're walking on water without having any understanding of the scientific properties that you're blowing by walking on the water in the first place. And so all of a sudden you're like, Lord, what do I do? You know what? This is what I've learned. If he he doesn't say anything, then keep keep your course. (coughs) If you're doing nothing, continue to wait. If you're doing something, or Lord, what do I change? And you don't hear anything, maybe you shouldn't change anything. He knows how to talk to you. He knows how to speak your language. Hold your course. Stay, keep on keeping on. But there's the beauty. So even though that may be the case, there may be here a handful of evangelists. Deborah wakes up and she just can't stop sharing Jesus with people. She becomes hyper, super, hyper dog evangelist. Benissimo. And with that then, she starts going and she starts hanging out with Shirley, who also happens to be an evangelist. A different kind of evangelist, by the way. But not only that, they start hanging out with Delek and with Jenny, who also happen to be bit by the evangelism bug. Now, something strange starts to happen. 
All of a sudden, Jenny starts getting on a street corner. She builds this little box. She stands on it and starts going, Repent! For the kingdom of heaven is at hand! And, and you, know what's, you know what's really funny is? There'll be a small group of people that will say, That stupid person. They're giving a bad name to the rest of us Christians who are going to go at the pub and have a beer and talk about sports. And, and, and not that's simple itself. But the simple part's bagging on Jenny who, by the way, is just seeking to do what the Lord's called her to. Strange as it is, there are people who start repenting. And then those guys hate her even more because she's effective. And, and so, you know, and with, right, that's the way that works. Now, she's got a particular type of ministry. Her particular type of ministry, by the way, is a ministry that is fat on, in your face, right there. And she just, she goes, she goes where are the prostitutes? I'm going to stand among them and just start. And she's not going to say, geez, put some clothes on. She's going to tell them about Jesus Christ because that's what an evangelist does. That's the cart behind the horse. But on that same token, what happens is one of those girls gets really offended and starts walking up and she goes into a cafe or a calf. It all depends on where you come from. And as she does, she's sort of sitting there steaming and she just starts rubbing shoulders with this particular gal who's eating her apple pie. And as she does, she turns around and she goes, well, what's the deal? And she starts talking. Right? And all of a sudden, this precious apple pie eating gal just turns and goes, what's really going on, honey? And she starts to cry. And as she starts to cry, I know this, this sounds like we're writing a script that probably happens, actually, especially if you know Jenny. I'm sorry. And, and, I, and all of a sudden what happens is there's Shirley and she's got her arm, I mean, pie girl, with her arm wrapped around her. And she goes, you know, if you handed your life over to Jesus, this will change right now. So which one of the two is an evangelist? They both are. Did you get that? Now, with that in mind, let's just say there are other things. All of a sudden, what you find is Deborah is the train evangelist. That's her thing. What Deborah does is she just goes and she sits down on a train. Where are you going? And they're like, uh, Leicester Square? No, no, no. Where are you going? Leicester Square? No, no. Where are you going? Heaven or hell? What? And she busts open her Bible and starts sharing Jesus. Is she an evangelist? Yes, she is. Now, is she different from the two of them? Absolutely. But she's still evangelizing, isn't she? Delek, on the other hand, Delek goes and buys a TV station. Buys a TV station, commandeers the airways, and stands in front of it and starts to evangelize to thousands. So which one's the evangelist? They all are. Here's the cool thing, is that if they had looked at each other and said, that's what an evangelist is, three of them would not be doing what they're supposed to. Do you see what I'm saying? Because what will happen is, Deborah might try once to go and stand up on a box, hate it, and then give up evangelism because that's just, I can't do this. But then she sits down on a train and she just can't help talking to the person next to them. She'll even just rip out their earphones and just go, hey, where are you going? You know what the cool part is? I know evangelists like every one of those. And they're all my favorite. Now I can say this, as an evangelical heart, I know God's gifted me to teach. But as an evangelical heart... I'm willing to try anything. We were at Palm Springs. I, w- I had a band. Now, that's one of the ways that I evangelize. I will say that. We play crazy music um, in lots of countries often where they don't even speak our language, which is safe because if I forget the lyrics, they're not going to know anyways. And, you know, and we kind of do our thing. And then at the end of it all, we preach the gospel message and give people a chance to receive Jesus Christ as Lord and Savior. From a mass, that's a crazy thing. And I remember having asked every member of our band to share their testimony and invite people to come to Jesus. And I remember it was my bass player who said, well, what if nobody responds? 
And I says, well, how are you going to know? He stood up and he shared Jesus Christ. Over 500 people gave their life to Christ that night. And I'm like, well, you need to do that again. And what do you think? He was so busy crying, you know, and if you knew him, Ben, anyways. Um, it was weird as it was. Now, please hear me. In Palm Springs, I had a band, and we went to Palm Springs during spring break. I thought this would be the place. I actually had a group of people with me, and I said, this is what I'm going to do, you guys. I'm going to stand up on that particular park bench. It's like on the side of the street, but it was like one of those benches. I'm going to stand up on that bench, and I'm going to start sharing Jesus with anyone who will listen. Will you gather around to give them a purpose to see, to see that people can stand around and do that? And I thought, this is my first shot at sort of open-air repent kind of thing. So I go and stand up on this bench. You know, I was like, you all need to receive Jesus. He died for you and he loves you. It was like so lame, apparently, that even the people who were with me left. <laughs> I was like, okay, that's, that's not, I mean, I could try it again if the Lord were to tell me to, but clearly that's not, that may be Jenny's, but it's not my thing. Please hear me in this. The danger in any move of the Spirit is you start looking around instead of up. That's the danger. But if you know that the move of the Spirit is to bring people closer to God, that part you know, then you can look up because then the rest of it's just in regards to what He wants to do with you. Does that make sense? And because He's a God of order and not of disorder, we can all look up and actually not find anything conflicting because the truth is, if the Holy Spirit really is ruling every one of us, we'll find there to be tremendous order in that. That's the great part about it. Even when we say right now, let's, um, <coughs> let's give an opportunity to just praise God and just thank the Lord for something. You don't find a lot of people just yelling at each other and barking and, you know, all right, well, no, 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 shut up. It's my turn. You just don't find that because the truth is, is when we're walking in the Spirit, God has this way of just kind of unifying us in that. But again, if it's him first, you second, and me at the back of the queue, then I stop really fighting for those things anymore. And he goes, well, that's the case. There are going to be different gifts with different ways that we do it with different effects in the end of it all. I mean, in the end of it all, here's the thing. Jenny, remember, because it's like you, you have to dig the blade into the soil, you plant the seed, you water it, and you bring a harvest. Often, and this is the dangerous thing, Jenny, if she were to stand, and this is no prophecy, Jenny, but if she were to stand on the box or whatever and do that, she may very well be digging her blade into the soil. She may not see most of the harvest that she's working with. Does that make sense? And the reason is, she is digging that blade in. But the thing is, is that the person who has the benefit of picking the fruit at the end often wasn't the one who dug the blade in the soil in the first place. But the danger is, we could look at the person who's gathering the fruit at the end and just go, well, check, that's the person, that's the gift. Oh, Jenny, we need to give her some counseling. Now, which one was that again? Right? <laughs> you know, and, and, and the danger is, it's like if we really realize, if all we're doing is what the Lord's called us to, the results have to be his, result, his responsibility anyways. And what's really cool is no matter who I get to share Jesus with, I know that it's going to do something. It doesn't really matter. So it's like, you know, they're like, you're just a lunatic, leave me alone. Okay, well, cool, we'll try to sleep tonight. <laughs> Blade in the soil. You know, you know? And, and, and the cool part about that, now, now listen to this. As he moves into this. <coughs> Boy, where does the time go? Look at verse 7. But the manifestation of the Spirit is given to each one for what? What does it say? What does it say? Yeah, the profit of all. Notice it doesn't say that the manifestation of the Spirit is given for the profit of the person who's doing it. But we should have resolved that already, right? 
We show up here, and I know this, if the, if the Holy Spirit's going to manifest through me in whatever way, manifest through you in whatever way, it is going to be to benefit everyone else. How cool is that? So think about this. The Holy Spirit's, what is the ministry of the Holy Spirit? To do what? To bring men closer to God. So if I'm going to be used by the Spirit, other people are going to be brought closer to God. I am too, by the way, because sometimes just being used brings me closer to God. But understand, there is, God isn't supposed to think, you're not supposed to think, that when God gives you a gift, it's so that it just makes you awesome. Because that isn't benefiting everyone else. Now, with that in mind, he starts going into the list of what those things are then. And then he lists out his particular gifts. Look at verse 12. This should sound a bit familiar. For as the body is one and has many members, but all the members of that one body being many are one body. Does that sound familiar? Did you notice in both cases, if you're going to talk about spiritual gifts, you better resolve that you are part of a team. You cannot list the spiritual gifts and not get through your head. It is to be used in conjunction with a team. It is to be used in a family, in a church. Now, not every gift will be used in a church setting, but there should be some form of something you belong to where you just don't think of yourself as the lone wolf. You are part of something, and the gift He gives you is to help you be functioning within that organism that He places you in. That's the beauty of it. But if you remember, there were two things in Romans. There was the issue of functioning as a body, and then there was another thing. Do you remember on the other side of those spiritual gifts what it was? It was love, being without hypocrisy. Now listen to this. <laughs> in verses 12 through 26 of 1 Corinthians 12, he has two very simple points. Read it, because for the sake of time, I'm going to trust you're going to check up on me on this. He goes, here's the two natural tendencies of a body part. One is it tends to think it's cooler than the rest, or the other it tends to think it is inconsequential. And he goes, neither one of those is a healthy thought. So in one case, he's like, check me out, man. I could teach. Check me out. I can gift. I mean, you know why most people may not have the gift of healing? Because they would get so hot on themselves. They would be so irritating. Nobody would want to be near them be honest. How do I know that? Because the gift of tongues does that to some people. It's like they're competing over who can tongue the loudest. That kind of stuff, I'm like, wow, isn't it crazy when we could use a spiritual gift to fortify our flesh nature? Is that an odd thought? So on one side, hey, look it, can I just say this? And I mean this sincerely. I am no more important than you are. I am no more important. It isn't like all of you get like God's like megaphone where he's like, please hold. God, you know, and then that's like, I get like the bat phone. Tony, how's it going? It's like, I'm on there with you. The good thing is nobody has a wait. There's no like wait till there's somebody you can't understand in another place to give you tech support. This is like God's going to speak directly. You don't have to speak to his mom, through his mom. You don't have to speak through some other person who, di- who died that they want to call a saint or any of that. You get to speak directly to Jesus. And you know what? You have the same hotline that I do. You know, all I'm seeking to do is be obedient. And you know what's so cool? Is I'm not trying to be anyone else. I don't know if you've noticed that. I just not like there's anyone else that I go, oh, if I could just be that guy. Because the bottom line is, that guy already has that guy. You know what I want to be? The best Anthony Holiday God has made me. I want to be the one that, yeah, in the end of it all, you go, you know, I just, every time I, I just encounter Jesus, then that must mean that the Holy Spirit's doing something. You know the crazy thing is? 
even if I just fell over and just threw up and passed out, if you are seeking the Lord, and you, have an, you can still have an encounter with the Holy Spirit without me having to do it. If that, otherwise, you're in trouble. Here, interesting, this whole chapter, now listen, that, that's the whole idea of it. Is that, and there's the other part that goes, well, I'm not Pastor Tony, so I can't be that special. Yes, you are. Jesus died for you just like he did me. At the end of the chapter, verse 31 says, and then after all of this, I want to show you the more excellent way. And you know what chapter 13 is? What is 1 Corinthians 13? Did you get it? In Romans, if you're going to get your spiritual gifts, if you're going to talk spiritual gifts, you need to know you're part of a body that you function independently with and you need to be motivated by love. You get to 1 Corinthians 12, and he goes, now listen, let me tell you what, you are a part of the body and let's spend a whole chapter telling you what it really means to love. Do you get it? I just love that that is the context that he lays all of this in. As a matter of fact, listen to this. <coughs> chapter 14 then of 1 Corinthians, he starts with this. Look at what the first verse says. Pursue what? Did you get that? Chapter 14, 1 Corinthians 14, verse 1. Pursue what? Love. Did you get that? And desire spiritual gifts. Did you see how those two are to be married? In verse 3 it says, Who prophesies speaks edification and exhortation and comfort to men. Do you get it? The problem with the tongue thing, by the way, in verse 4 he says, The person who speaks in a tongue edifies himself. There's the danger. But he who prophesies edifies the church. And this is why Paul is saying in this area, you really, when you get together in the Corinthian church, it really turns spiritual gifts into a three-ring circus. He said, look it, you guys need to start putting the others first. And in that, seek what edifies others. Now, could speaking in a tongue edify? Sure. You know what, you know what he says, what, what is required? Somebody to interpret. It doesn't say someone with the gift of interpretation. Although that may be one way. But I'll tell you what really, what I've seen edify the church is when somebody speaks and someone else says, excuse me, but I'm Greek and let me just say, tell you what he said. Everyone in the church goes and they get the tingles. Ooh, that's cool. There are times when I've wanted to stand up after Rodriguez stood up and speak. He's, he's speaking in a tongue, it's just his native. He's not, you know, in that spiritual gift it isn't where he doesn't understand what he's saying. He knows what he's saying. But I, there are times where I want to say, let me just tell you what Rodriguez said because sometimes it's just so beautiful. But he says, you know what, here's the rule. And don't believe me, this is what it says in 1 Corinthians 14. If people want to speak in tongues in a church setting, it should be no more than three, one at a time, and there should be interpretation, or you sit down and shut up. That's what the scripture says. Don't believe me, check it on your own. Because you know what he says? Church is supposed to be the place where we put others first and we seek to edify them. This isn't a place for you to flaunt what makes you awesome. There's the danger. Let's go to the last of these and we'll close this up. But <clears throat> please understand... And at 1 Corinthians 14, everything about it, verse 5 says you need to do this so that the church may receive edification. In verse 12, it says, let it be for the edification of the church that you seek to excel. In verse 26, it says, let all things be done for edification. In other words, if you're going to exercise spiritual gifts, it's to build each other up. Could you imagine what would happen if we showed up together next Wednesday, every one of us, and the Holy Spirit came upon every one of us, and we function whatever way He called us to function it, and we all walked out of here so juiced up on Jesus. Because we all did what God called us to. There is no spiritual gift of spectating, by the way. Last thing, and we'll close this up. <coughs> Ephesians chapter 4, verse 11. Some of you call this, or might call this, the fivefold ministry. Now notice now, he doesn't say these are spiritual gifts, he says these are positions. Titles, if you will. 
He gave some to be apostles. Biblically, by the way, and I, you can challenge me on this, search it in Scripture. They seem to be the people that are missionary church planners. Some prophets, those who speak with the primary message in Scripture, by the way, is repent. To God's people, prophets speak to God's people. Some evangelists, those are the ones who speak to those who aren't God's people yet. Some pastors and teachers. This is what I know as my job description, by the way, because I know that I fit in there. For the equipping of the saints, for the work of ministry, and for the edifying of the body of Christ. Do you realize even this position he's put me in is for that purpose? Why wouldn't it be? Why would my position be unique? Every gift that he's given me is to do the same thing that every gift he's given you is to do, and that is to edify each other. You get it? And here's the cool thing. Now listen, that tells me one more thing. God not only knows how to equip, he also knows how to position. That's the beauty. But if he is a perfect, perfect commander, wouldn't he know? You put the snipers here. You put the front battalion here. He knows how to put the people where he knows he needs them. And in the same way, he knows how to gift you. He knows how to equip you. And then he knows how to position you. Let me say that again. He knows how to gift you. He knows how to equip you, equip you, and he knows how to position you. It says, listen, verse 13, until we all come to the unity. Isn't that weird? If we are all doing what God called us to, we'll be unified in the faith and the knowledge of the Son of God to a perfect man. In other words, by the way, the word perfect teleos, like tetelestai, it is finished, means it's like the bus that when it says 168 goes to Old Kent Road, Tesco's, Tesco, that means it goes to Old it, when it makes it to Old Kent Road, Tesco, it is completed. Does that make sense? It's finished its route. And God says, for every one of you, you're on a trajectory to become more like Jesus. And he says, if we're all doing our part, every one of us continues on that path, further encouraged and built up to get closer and deeper and farther down that particular route he has for each of us. That's the way that works. You're another bus stop down as everyone serves. To the measure of the stature of the fullness of Christ, listen, that we should no longer be children, tossed to and fro, and carried about with every wind of doctrine and trickery of men and the cunning craftiness of deceitful plotting, but speaking the truth in love. And I noticed this, by the way, because we watch people that give their life to Christ are one of the things I adore. And you watch when people give their life to Christ and start getting in the Word, they learn how to speak the truth. And then ultimately, they learn how to speak the truth in love. It's something we grow into, I've learned. In the beginning, you just speak the truth, but you usually bludgeon people until they're a bloody mess. And then somewhere down the line, we learn how to speak it with the idea of really putting them first instead of just having an indignation for their lie. That we listen, we may grow up into all things, into him who is the head Christ. And this is our last verse. From whom the whole body, that's you and me, joined and knit together by what every joint supplies, according to the effective working, listen to this, by which every part does its share. Did you get that? If I'm being the pastor God calls me to be, my challenge is to encourage you, to edify you, that you would mature, no longer being tossed to and fro by all of the new hot items that aren't biblical, but rather to the point where you get raised up so that every one of you does what God's called you to. That's what he's called me to do. But not just me. Apostles, prophets, evangelists, pastor teachers. We're all called into the Bouviac for that. That every part does its share, causes growth of the body. Listen, 
for the edifying of itself in love. The end result. (coughs) It starts with this. The Holy Spirit's ministry is to bring man what? Closer to God. That's the ministry of the Holy Spirit. To bring man closer to God. And then he starts and he pushes from the outside. You say yes. He comes to live inside. Cleans you from the inside out. Changes your perspective. And then comes upon you so that he can use you to what? Bring men closer to God. That is the mission of this army here. That is the mission. And that mission may be, for some of you, you're going to be reconnaissance. In other words, you're going to go find those people that have that accepted Christ at one point, but now they're not walking with them like they used to. And now, where in the world are they? They may be sitting in pews, but they're not there. And some of you are going to be called on those reconnaissance because that's just the gifts He's given you and the mission He's put in your pocket. Some of you, you're going to go out into the world where there's somebody that's just never heard of Jesus whatsoever. Some of you are going to go into the world where people have a real problem because they went to some kind of quote-unquote Christian school that had nothing to do with Christian and was barely school. But they went there anyways and they came out with this anti-Christian viewpoint. Some of you are going to be drawn to a group of people that, are, that seem soft but aren't. Some are going to be drawn to a group that, are, that seem like they have nothing, no interest in God. Some of you are going to be called to the Muslim population. But every one of you are going to be called to each other. That's the beauty. Because that's the way God works. Because we all need to be brought closer to the Lord. And if Chris is out there in the, you know, out there in the battlefield and he comes in, the best thing we can do is help bring him closer to the Lord so that when he heads back out to the battlefield with the Lord, he's all the more empowered, right? But in the end of it all, every part does its share it does not mean we build a mega church where one person stands up and then if we don't have enough room, we'll set up a screen in another part of the world where you all can watch but have no role. I mean, and I don't want to bag on that too much, but in the end of it all, I want every part of the body to do its share. And here's the cool part. It isn't about a program. It isn't about you joining some form of course. If you could just fall in love with Jesus, the rest is going to happen so supernaturally naturally, you're just going to find yourself doing it. And you know how I know that? Because it's always been the case. I watch it in some of you already. I can tell you when you're hot for Jesus because I see you exercising spiritual gifts. Not for show. You do it simply because the Lord is doing it. And I love that. (laughs) And the danger is if you're gifted to teach, that doesn't mean you're gifted to teach a group of people like this. You may be gifted to teach one-on-one, but hey, just do what the Lord's called you to. And what's funny is, you know what? More than likely, your friends may notice before you do. Your husband or wife may notice before you do. It's like, you know, I notice that every time you just pray and you're in love with Jesus, this is what happens next. You're with kids and you're sitting down telling them a Bible story. Have you noticed that? No, I didn't really notice. Of course he didn't. The Holy Spirit was doing it. Isn't it beautiful when that happens? Because then you're not keeping score because you don't even see it happen. But listen, beloved, as we go to prayer, next week we have 17 spiritual gifts to address. In other words, I'm going to show you your armory next week. But if you're going to see your armory next week, let's start with this. You know the mission of this army. And you know that the best way to destroy this army is simply to have us shoot each other. And the easiest way for us to shoot each other is for us to think that we are the army instead of we are the army. So I want to pray for you and I want to pray for you. But I'd rather do this. I'd rather you to go and grab two more people. And I want you to pray for them one more time. Would you do that? And I want you to pray right now that God would unify us. But this, more than anything, Lord, may there be nothing in between us that would keep us 
from delighting in you so that you would use us in whatever way you want to use us. So let me pray for us first, and then I'm going to send you out to do that because I can't be a pastor and take this exhortation and not encourage you to start functioning together. I love watching you pray with each other. It just jazzes my groovy. I just want you to know that right now. So will you pray with me, please? <coughs> Lord, we recognize first, even as we've gone through sort of the, the background of Romans, Lord, we recognize that this all starts with us recognizing we're sinners, us first people on our own terms. But we recognize, Jesus, that you died for us, paying the price for all of our sins so that all of our sin could be properly punished and then rose again on the third day to offer us new life. Lord, I can't just do this without at least sharing the gospel and then saying that if there be anyone, whether it be here in this room or whoever listens to this message later, that if you've never accepted the gift of Jesus Christ, then all of this may sound crazy. But it starts with you being adopted by the Father of heavenly lights. It starts with you being washed clean by the blood of Jesus, by you being betrothed to the King of Kings, and by you being transformed that the old you would die at the cross and a brand new you would be resurrected, a new creation under the Lordship of Jesus Christ. And with that, we pray this simple prayer. Jesus, I'm a sinner. I know you died for my sin so that it could be punished in full. You died on the cross just as Scripture promised for my sins. You were buried, and then three days later, just as Scripture promised, you rose again so that I could be a brand new creation under your Lordship. So I say yes to you as my Lord and as my Savior. I believe you died for me. I believe you rose again, and I surrender to you now. I am yours. And with that, Lord, we just pray that if anyone says yes to that, they would say amen, and that that would be the cry of their heart now as they say, I agree. Let that prayer be my prayer. And for every believer in this room, Lord, myself included, I pray right now that you would strip from us anything that would keep us from delighting in you. And as we delight in you, Lord, may we find ourselves exercising the gifts you've given us the way that you've ordained for us, for the results that you've ordained. But this we know as a family, as a body, as an army, you have called us to bring man closer to you. And that cannot happen without the move of your Holy Spirit. So we pray, even tonight, as, these, as my precious brothers and sisters get together in their groups to pray, may your Holy Spirit come upon every one of us, not simply for some form of esoteric experience, but for the empowering to do what you've called us to, to bless each other, and to transform this world around us, to bring them closer to you. So here we are, we're yours, in Jesus' name. Amen.